Welcome to Unlapped, Katie George alongside Lawrence Edmondson, Nate Saunders. You know, it's pretty hard to host a podcast about such a boring sport. I just wish, you know, something newsworthy would happen from every now and then. I, what do you guys do? Lawrence, you just sit over there and twiddle your thumbs all day? Yeah, that, that was my plan after Silverstone, you know, um, was just to sit back, relax and, uh, and not really do anything. Uh, unfortunately, my plans got ruined. Although, to be fair, I, I've got to say, Nate carried most of the burden of the news this week, and I actually did do a bit of, bit of thumb twiddling as well. So, um, yeah, but it's been, it's been great, hasn't it? I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, back in F1. We suspected it might happen, but I don't think any of us thought it would be so soon as this. Yeah, absolutely wild. I mean, I, well, I think what was crazy about it as well was this This is one of those stories that genuinely seemed to develop over about a 48, you know, 72-hour window. Um, where somebody goes from thinking one thing to thinking another. So, um, yeah, brilliant news. And, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about it in great detail now. Um, it might just – I kind of was thinking this earlier. Red Bull, you know, the story of the season is quite dull. You know, it's quite one-sided. I think they've single-handedly saved at least the next kind of couple of weeks, just given us something to dig our teeth into and, and speculate wildly about. So kudos to Red Bull for doing that because, you know, Max doing an amazing job out front, but it's getting mm-hmm. harder to talk about Red Bull and not just be repeating the same point. So, so yeah. Uh, credit to them. It feels like silly season has kind of come early. Obviously, Nick DeVries is no longer with AlphaTauri. That move was made earlier this week based on Daniel Ricardo's lap in the Red Bull, apparently at Silverstone. He really impressed, showed that he still has a bunch of promise in this sport. Kind of walk me through, Nate, just how things unfolded. A call was made that basically was the nail in the coffin for Nick DeVries. Yeah, it was. It all seems like it. that part of it all seems to have happened quite quickly. But I think this was kind of death by a thousand cuts for Nick DeVries. I think this was coming for about a week. You know, if you if you kind of look at what Marco said, I mean, we've talked about it, haven't we, over and over again. He wasn't exactly Nick DeVries' biggest fan, which is ironic because he's the guy that basically signed Nick DeVries off the basis of one very good performance in Italy last year. It seems that originally DeVries was told he had until Zandvoort, his home race, which is, you know, the, the race after the summer break. That very quickly changed to Austria and, and Britain. And I think as soon as Ricardo became aware of that and aware of the fact that DeVries was most likely on his way out, I think he, it coincided perfectly for Ricardo with the fact that he'd been preparing for this Silverstone test. I've been told by him, by people close to him, he was treating that test as an audition really for a bigger role within the team. You're a race seat. At the same time, he's starting to think, I do kind of miss driving. I miss racing. You know, he's at all these races. He's doing a lot of media commitments. And I think that, you know, if you're doing that and you're as, as competitive as, as these Formula One drivers are, it must have been pretty painful to be sat there watching this. You know, you're in the team kit. You kind of, after a while, start to feel like, well, I'm just here doing all this media stuff. You know, I'm not really racing. I think that started to grate on him a little bit. And it coincided with this opportunity being there for Alpha Tower. And I think the, the big thing was that it was very, very clear to Ricardo that this could be it. This could be the one foot in the door moment you're going to get. You know, if you turn this down now, and Liam Lawson, who's one of the only Red Bull Junior drivers left outside of F1, you know, if he comes in, does a good job, I think Red Bull would look at that and say, well, you know, this guy's doing well. You've already turned down the opportunity once. Why do we give it to you again? So I think by Sunday of Silverstone, I spoke to him on Saturday. I just saw him very briefly and had a quick chat. I think by then he kind of knew. I think looking back at the conversation I had with him, it was quite brief. But I think he said one or two things that I should have followed up with. Like, well, you know, there is going to be a seat free by the sounds of it. Yeah, there, there is a seat coming free, Daniel. You know, he said, like, I am missing the racing and missing the driving. My follow up should have been, well, I mean, wait around. You know, there's probably going to be a seat free, you know, just over there at that team very, very soon. Um, and then I think that from everything you hear, <clears throat> Monday, 
I think Ricardo was kind of was calling people, asking them about the AlphaTauri setup, you know, what to expect there. And then Tuesday, the one thing Christian Horner wanted to see is, is this guy, you know, is this the Ricardo a few years ago? Or have we kind of, you know, have we kind of got ourselves into a situation where he's still not quite the Ricardo of old? And from everything we've heard, you know, straight into the car was immediately quick. I think there was a spin later in the day, but I think he was, mm-hmm. you know, he had enough credit in the bank by that point to say, oh, it's just one spin. Um, and I think for Horner, you know, by that point, he called Helmet and said, this is legit. Let's go for it. And obviously, they don't just make that call out of nowhere. The contracts were already starting to be written up. You know, they'd already had the conversations. And then Nick DeVries gets a very, very blunt phone call, I think, from Helmut Marco saying, you know, thank you, but, you know, we're going to move on from you. Um and then, yeah, you know, all hell broke loose because, you know, the Dutch journalists found out. We we started to see, you know, reports leaking through from very credible Dutch journalists. And then before we knew it, it was, there's a press release coming at 3 p.m. Get ready. You know, Danny Rick's in for the season. So really changed very, very quickly. And I think that mm-hmm. um, a lot of things kind of all happen at the same time. I'm very interested to see over the next few weeks how Ricardo is. I think he's going to be very, very happy the first you know week or so. He's joining probably the worst, the team with the worst car right now in Formula One. And I think that one of the reasons he wanted to stay until 24, and again, we can talk more about this now, is that, and we've mentioned it on the pod before, but Red Bull really wants AlphaTauri to have a much closer relationship in 24 with Red Bull, you know, take much more parts, be much more competitive, be a much more serious team, I think. And Ricardo really liked the idea of having a preseason with that team and then racing with that team. So he's kind of, I think he's had to swallow a bit of that and say that this could be the only chance. He's going into a pretty dire situation it's not going to be that competitive and really the only measuring stick we're going to have from the outside is how he's competing against Sonoda obviously De Vries mm-hmm. I don't think De Vries did that badly against Sonoda but I think that he just he came in with that huge reputation from Monza last year and he just didn't live up to it and I think it's difficult to live up to it when your car is barely able to make it out of Q1 so that's going to be really interesting to see but a, a, amazing news story for Formula 1 mm-hmm. a great story I think for everybody except Nick De Vries who it's difficult not to feel sorry for, you know, he had 10 races sure. and he's just kind of been, you know, he's just kind of been cut loose. So yeah, fascinating to see how it played out and fascinating to see what we'll be saying about this move in six months, because yeah. there's about six different outcomes here. I was thinking about them all earlier, like the, every way you slice it, there's a great outcome in terms of a story. And yeah, I'll let Lawrence talk for a bit. <laughs> I've just been, I've just been waffling on, but yeah, I I'm, I'm really excited about it for a number of reasons. Um, and yeah, over to Lawrence to continue the, the hype. Nate, I just love how excited you are about this. I mean, it's, it's yeah. clear that this is... I honestly, uh, yeah. I, I had to remind myself I'm on a pod with two other people because it could have <laughs> just been a long monologue about Danny Rick and Red Bull and how this all came to be. Well, Nate was named uh, the Ricardo Whisperer by someone on Twitter, I believe. Was it Twitter or Reddit? Or <laughs> it was Twitter, like yeah. Somebody Twitter, said, the yeah. only source I believe on Ricardo is the <laughs> is Nate, the Ricardo Whisperer. Good way to be. I had, and I had to, I had to give credit. There's other journalists. I mean, you know, um, there's been a few other people that, you know, that had that news at least bubbling you know, at the same time. So, um, but I'll take it. So, you know, if you're going to be a whisperer for anyone, Danny Rick's a pretty good one. (laughs) I think it's, uh, it's interesting, obviously what's going to come from this, but I I have to agree with you, Nate. I feel for Nick DeVries. This was very much Mm. a cutthroat decision. Lawrence, how often have we seen Red Bull cut bait in the middle of the season and release a driver early like this? Yeah, uh, alarmingly often, certainly more often than any other mm-hmm. team. Um, you know, we've seen it with uh, Kafiat. Um, he got uh, ditched a couple of times from Red Bull in 2016. And then again, when he was at Toro Rosso, and then he even came back for a one-off race uh, in Austin. Uh, to, I can't remember then which year that was. It was, the year it was the 18, I think, ago. or 19. 
yeah 2018 i think and gazi had to go and race in super formula so um yeah they, they they're not afraid of chopping and changing their drivers and it is part of what you sign up to when you're a Red Bull driver. And they are all Red Bull drivers as well. So they have two teams, AlphaTauri and Red Bull, but you have a Red Bull contract. And what that allows the team to do is to move the drivers between the teams and also uh, bench them and, and basically push them out of F1 if, if if they see fit. And the person making those decisions is mainly Helmut Marko. Um, there is discussions within the team, but Helmut Marko tends to have the last say on, on where the drivers end up. And um, he has a depending on which way you look at it, uh, a successful track record, but also a pretty brutal track record. The success <laughs> is clear from Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, came through the Red Bull junior system. Max Verstappen snapped up by the Red Bull junior system coming out of uh, Formula 3 and then going on to win his two championships, plus God knows how many more he's going to get. Uh, so clearly it works when the driver has everything in the right place, but there's been so many examples where it hasn't worked. Jaime Algashwari, John Eric Verne, um, you know, if we look at the current grid, Carlos Sainz, Gasly, mm-hmm. Albon, all started off in the Red Bull Junior program, all with the aim of getting to the uh, Red Bull Senior team. Gasly and Albon got that far, but then came crashing back down again. So it is harsh. And I was looking into Derice's record, and I think from from the outside, uh, you do look at it, and, it, and it's not great. Um, you know, it's not brilliant, but. It's also not terrible. Um, Baku was one race where it all seemed to go wrong. He crashed in one of the qualifiers and then mm. also in the race. And and that was a black mark against him. But if you remove those qualifying results from his average against Sonoda over the course of the year, the gap between the two, including sprint qualifiers and qualifying, is 0.22 seconds. Now, that's a gap that, you know, obviously you don't want, but we're only 10 races in. So he was starting to stabilise that gap as well a bit. You know, there were occasions when he was faster than Snowder in qualifying. It wasn't a complete whitewash. So, yeah, I, I feel like um, on uh, De Vries's pure um, just results from 10 races and what you might expect from a rookie in that period, he's slightly different as a rookie. He's 28 years old when he came in rather than being a you know very young rookie. But even so... Um, I don't think he got a fair run at it. Then again, um, once Red Bull had made this decision that they wanted to reset out, and it seems quite clear that decision was made um, several weeks ago, uh, why hang around and, and make life any more difficult? And especially when Ricardo had made the decision, uh, it seems, you know, uh, Nate's reporting around Canada made it very clear that he was keen for an Alpha Tower seat next year. So once Ricardo's made that decision, has changed his mind that he doesn't want a you know, or he's got his ear off, but he actually wants to really get back in the car. Once you have those two things weighing up, who would you pick, Nick DeVries or Daniel Ricciardo? I mean, I would pick Daniel Ricciardo. So I can see why they've made it, but it, I just think it, it is still a harsh a harsh kind of reality for Nick DeVries to swallow, just given that his performances weren't dreadful. They weren't great by any stretch, but they weren't dreadful. And he was probably expecting a few more races to prove himself. I think you could see the writing on the wall as Helmut Marco became more and more vocal that there was an underlying political motive behind it with Daniel Ricardo waiting in the wings. And obviously it's now come to fruition. Let's be clear though, the AlphaTauri is not the same machine as the RB19. And both drivers for AlphaTauri, Nick DeVries being one, have struggled in that car this season. So what kind of risk is this, Nate, for Daniel Ricardo to step into this car? Or is it not so much as what do you give us this season, but what the future will hold, as you said, that they want to be much closer to the AlphaTauri and Red Bull teams in 2024? Yeah, I think it is a big risk because, you know, as I said, I think Ricardo really wanted to go in in 24. 
And the reason you don't want to go in now is exactly the reasons you said, Katie. You know, this car, Sonoda's only got two points. You know, everyone's acting as if De Vries was massively behind. And if you take the most recent example of Ricardo, when Zach Brown made that call, I mean, Lando was so much further ahead than Ricardo. You know, that was that was a, a, a case where it was literally apples and oranges that you could compare. Lando was getting you know, and oranges. I don't know which of the which the two is orange because obviously that's McLaren's color. But, um, orange. Yeah, yeah. One of them was a, one of them was different colored oranges. I don't know. I've I've got myself into a weird hole here. I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about. Um, but in that situation, Ricardo was performing so much worse than his teammate. If you compare it to where where De Vries was with uh, with Sonoda, so I think it's a real risk. And there's a few reasons why it's a risk for Ricardo. The first of which being that I think a full season with a with a improved Alpha Tauri, whatever they're going to be called next year is a much better proposition than this is you know he's jumping in it's so difficult to look good in a bad in a bad team and mm-hmm. weirdly i think this is a perfect scenario for red bull really it's it's a perfect f- scenario for red bull and it's probably it's, it's good for ricardo but i don't think it's as good as it would have been had he come back next year the reason i say that is because i think if ricardo's decent if ricardo competes at the level we think He's going to, but he's not spectacular. At the very least, Red Bull get a good read on Yuki Tsunoda. You know, they're probably, even though they had Pierre Gasly there, who's a race winner, it's pretty clear that Christian Horner and Helmut Marco both really, for whatever reason, soured on him when he went through that Red Bull experience. You know, they never promoted him again. So at the very least, they're going to come out of it and say, we know how good Tsunoda is here. And their best case scenario is he does amazingly and it puts a lot of pressure onto Perez. And you would expect that Perez makes a step forward that's obviously what they're hoping for. And we can get more into what it means for Perez, I guess, in a little bit. But if you're Ricardo, I think that he, it, it clearly was it was Alpha Tauri or bust for him. There was no way he was going to go straight to Red Bull. So it's a risk he's going to have to take. And I think that he clearly mm-hmm. backs himself to do better than he did at McLaren. So I don't know. I've been that's what I've been trying to mull over in my head is how big of a risk this is. But really, I think if we're brutally honest about it, I don't think Ricardo was going to drive anywhere else anytime soon. So yeah. it, you'd rather you'd rather take on a situation that's risky than be in the situation he was in. So I actually think that he's done the right thing. If it was now or never, even if it is risky, you know, I don't think he's going to have another chance like this. Certainly not with Red Bull now so clearly as his end end goal. If he hadn't said that, other teams might have been willing to give him a shot. But I think now he said that, other teams are like, well, clearly you just want to get back to Red Bull. Which is fair. Like, who, who wouldn't want to drive for them right now? But he's kind of nailed his, you know, nailed his kind of position to the master bit. Quick follow I think it would have been, uh, yeah. sorry, kid, I just say on that, I think it would have been a much bigger risk not to take this drive because, mm. and, yeah. you know, Agreed. Red Bull clearly had, well, Marco certainly had come to the end of his tether with uh, De Vries and the results he was getting. Liam Lawson is also available, doing a pretty good job in Super Formula. He didn't really impress in F2 during his two seasons in it, but uh, Liam Lawson, who's the next in line in the Red Bull Junior program, uh, is second in the Super Formula Championship. Um, I mean, I think Red Bull would like to see him go and win that uh, in total. But of course, if you would say to Liam Lawson, what would you rather do, finish your Super Formula Championship or jump in an Alpha Tauri? He'd jump in an Alpha Tauri. So um, Daniel, I think, had to take it from that point. I don't, you know, if he had just said, oh, no, give it to Liam, then I think he'd probably write off next year as well. So I don't think he had any choice and uh, yeah, much bigger risk to turn around and say no at this stage. And also there's, um, I mean, there's been rumours, obviously before De Vries, they wanted, Herter was the guy that was was in there. But mm-hmm. if you look at IndyCar right now, the guy leading the championship is Alex Palou. And I think there's definitely been some interest there from the Red Bull side. So if you are Ricardo, obviously the you're lucky this year that the IndyCar season kind of runs until about September, October time. But if they sign Pillow in the off season or before next season, it's the same situation. You've kind of the door slammed in your face. So I really think he had to do it. There was no other no other way. 
Was there discussions about Daniel Ricardo taking the Alfatari seat at the end of 2022, or was that option not an availability for him? From my understanding, well, that- it was it was not fully on the on the cards. But I mean, I think that they'd have been stupid to have taken the Red Bull thing and not asked, right? I mean, sorry, Lawrence, let me just cut you off. No, I, I agree. I think um, Daniel had made his position clear that he didn't intend to race in 2023. And he made that quite clear um, relatively early on, long before Nick de Vries got, uh, got, got, got signed up. And um, yeah, when we we're in the Dutch Grand Prix, and um, because basically th- this all started because Fernando Alonso decided that he was going to leave yeah. Alpine and go to uh, Aston you, Martin. Which, um, yeah, I mean, you know, who, who else would be at the bottom of all this? And then, um, <laughs> and then, uh, that meant that Pierre Gasly had this option to go to Alpine, and Alpine became very set on Pierre over Daniel, uh, you know, because I think Daniel may have entertained the idea of going to Alpine, but, um, yeah, uh, Alpine, who felt like they kind of been uh, burnt by Daniel before when they were Renault and he left, uh, to go to McLaren, um, they were very much set on Pierre. So, once it became clear that Pierre, you know, um, wanted to leave and, and Red Bull were open to the idea of ending his contract a year earlier and, and, and let him go, uh, the original idea was Colton Herter. Super license points didn't look like they were going to come together, didn't ultimately come together. And so they then had to start looking around. And really, Nick DeVries, you know, it was great timing on his behalf. Um, again, r- random thing, but Alex Albon's appendix burst. And <laughs> and that's what got DeVries the... Uh, the shot on Monza and he he really did did take mm-hmm. that and I think you know that really absolutely was 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 the thing that got him into that drive if Daniel had been a serious contender at that point um and had been willing to take a drive of Alfatari then I think Alfatari would have absolutely taken him but um Daniel at that stage uh I think was so bruised by his experience at McLaren that the thought of then going to a team that was further down the grid and ultimately this year has been further down the grid uh was was just you know it just didn't appeal compared to a year off recessing options and coming back and i think you know if we look at it um now i think that probably was the right decision one because he's got into that car anyway but two i think he's really benefited from that time off and really put it all in perspective about what he wants and what f1 means to him with everyone fighting for attention how can your business stand out and connect with customers easy get constant contact Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Nate had mentioned this earlier, but as soon as this news was announced, my mind immediately goes to Sergio Perez and how how he probably is thinking, feeling. Obviously, he's getting results on Sunday, but his qualifying has been a nightmare over the last, what, four or five races at this point. What kind of pressure does this add to Sergio Perez, or does it? How do you think he views this move? I think it's definitely put pressure on him. Um, you know, there's no other way to look at it. I think that it's interesting because I think that the, the reaction to it was everyone saying, oh, Perez, Perez, Perez. And I think it's actually... At this stage, it's still premature to be thinking like that because I don't think yeah. Red Bull see Ricardo yet as the guy to replace Perez. You know, in 2018, when Gasly was underperforming, we were being briefed, you know, at the time. Red Bull were very clear to us behind the scenes, like, this guy's got to improve, otherwise he's out. You know, when Albon was underperforming, it was clear that there was a tone there of like, yeah, this, you know, this, it, these performances just aren't good enough. We're not getting the same with Perez. You know, they are frustrated, but they're seeing signs you know in the race that he is performing it's not like he's his performances aren't just falling apart all weekend and i think christian horner's convinced that as soon as he sorts out whatever this mental hang-up he's got on these saturdays is he'll be fine Mm -hmm. and but putting ricardo there i think it's a really smart move because you it's a reminder to perez like hey look we've got this guy here who's not only at his best is you know still considered to be one of the best drivers in formula one but is very popular within the team is you know marketing dream you know you put ricardo in you don't miss a step it's not like you promote a rookie that no one's ever heard of you're putting one of the most popular drivers in the sport in that in that seat so it's got to be it's got to be a warning sign to perez um i think that it's going to take a lot more for perez to to get into a bad situation from everything that we're hearing i think he's very lucky that he's doing this this year because verstappen could pretty much win the constructors championship on his own this year um he doesn't really need perez to be there finishing second and that weirdly has helped perez out because i think if we're in a really tight championship fight this would really be hurting red bull it's not really hurting them it's frustrating but it's not hurting them so rightly or wrongly that i think is giving perez a bit of leeway um but also you've got to look at this from a wider perspective as well um and i think people you know they're looking at it from the red bull perspective but if you're red bull the company right now you're also selling the name of Alpha Tauri soon. You know, you Alpha Tauri won't compete as Alpha Tauri next year. They'll compete as another team. They'll have another brand coming in. Red Bull can now turn to that brand and say, presuming Ricardo stays for a year and a half, which I don't think that's is that unlikely. Perez has a contract through to the end of 24. You can turn to that brand now and say, you know that number we've been discussing? Double it. You know, we've mm-hmm. got we've just put Ricardo in the car and he'll be wearing your brand. He'll be, you know, he'll be promoting everything you're doing. Um, so I think just purely from from a business point of view, this has been a genius move from Red Bull because everyone's seeing it from the from the Perez perspective, but there's so much beyond it as well from a from a from a business point of view as well. So whichever way you slice it for Red Bull, it's brilliant. It's put Perez under pressure. They can ask for more money from the guys coming in at AlphaTauri. So really, they've just covered all their bases. And even if Ricardo never replaces Perez, there's about ten different benefits for them, you know, down the line. So. I think it's premature, but I think clearly if, if these next two races, especially Perez doesn't perform, the only thing we're talking about going into the summer break is Ricardo and Perez, because we know now he's right there and we know how those contracts work and that he could just be replaced. So very clever from Red Bull. And um, it'll be interesting now. I think what will be really interesting, we, we saw how quickly Marco turned against De Vries. We haven't seen that publicly against Perez, but if he Mm-mm. does badly at the Hungara ring, really fascinating to see if Marco and Horner come out that aggressively against Perez in terms of what they say, because we haven't seen that yet. And I think 
you could tell, you know, Horner was saying he's got to have a clean weekend. He'll just have one clean weekend. It'll be fine. If he doesn't have that clean weekend with Ricardo there now, I think that's when the heat starts to get turned up. So it's definitely pressure, but I think maybe a little bit overplayed at the moment, but that Mm -hmm. could change really quickly as the Ricardo situation changed over the past few days. The move has obviously generated uh, a lot of buzz and uh, multiple rumors. I'm now going to hit you both with rumors that are out there. You can say true, false, or somewhere in the middle and explain why. This is, so that we this can... is why F1 silly season is so good. It's, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. The first rumor, Lawrence, that is milling about is that Lando Norris has a pre-contract signed with Ferrari. Where do you fall on that? Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Um, I've <laughs> seen a few more rumors linking Norris to Red Bull for 2025. Norris mm-hmm. has a contract with McLaren that runs through to the end of 2024, as does Sergio Perez. You put those things together and you think, well, possibly there could be a move there. Norris at the moment is looking very good in a McLaren that is improving, but is still a long way off a of Red Bull. And I think if you look at the long-term prospects of those two teams, uh, one is significantly better than the other. The question, of course, for someone like Norris would be, or anyone really, uh, looking at that Red Bull seat, would be, would you go up against Max Verstappen? Because right there, right now, you have a team that is, um, you know, very strong with Verstappen, capable of winning multiple championships with Verstappen. And then you're entering um, with less experience at the team, you know, less contacts at the team. Uh, Jos Verstappen is seems to be quite a powerful person within that <laughs> team as well at times. And um, yeah, that, that's a tough question for anyone who's who's considering a Rebel drive. But the Ferrari one, well, I think that's based also on the idea that Leclerc would be going somewhere else, um, but would then have to speculate where that would be. Well, you know, maybe to... Uh, that's next. Well, Don't you worry. Think, okay, well, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't get too far into it. Um, but I, I think the uh, the other thing that could potentially open up the drive market quite a lot for... 2026 onwards is the um the rival of audi and in fact you know really in 2025 as well you know if you want to get yourself in position there's no bad thing to be at the team a year year earlier than audi officially come into f1 in 2026 so i think with that becoming an option as well for a number of drivers it just creates that that extra extra breadth in in the driver market for, for for drivers who are looking to to mix things up but um most of the contracts are in place for next year mm-hmm. already so I don't think we want to see a huge amount of change coming up immediately. But yeah, I think a number of people are already looking towards 25 and then the regulation change in 26. And really with a regulation change, we've seen so many times before, drivers you know, can make or break careers depending on, on where they end up around those and, and the championships they can fight for afterwards. So I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let, I'll let Nate take on the, uh, the <laughs> where Leclerc's heading uh, once he decides he's had enough of Ferrari. <laughs> so just to be just to be clear, you believe Lando Norris heading to Red Bull is more likely than Lando Norris ending up in a Ferrari in the future, correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. And that's slightly based on them having conversations in the past. Christian Horner mm-hmm. joked uh, maybe a year or two ago that every time they had conversations with Norris he went and signed a McLaren contract the next day uh but there have there has been contact in the past and there is kind of interest but yeah the question would just be from Norris's point of view is do you want to go up against Max in Mm -hmm. in in the same car or would you rather try and take a punt on a different team in the hope that they can up their level and compete uh you know uh team to team rather than within a team he does have a vowel at the end of his name so if, if you're looking at a Ferrari guy He's got the O at the end of the name, you know, sounds Italian. Let's do it. <laughs> That's exactly what they'll base it on. Exactly yeah. what they'll base yeah. it on. 
I hope do so. You I think... mean, Ferrari, you've got two drivers without a vowel, you know, ending their name. I mean, come on, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> yeah, we'll see <laughs> anyway, what we sorry, can Casey. do. We'll sorry. see what we can do with that. Yeah. Do you think that Charles Leclerc would be interested in being Max Verstappen's teammate in the future? Because the next rumor that I hit you with is that Charles Leclerc has been linked with Red Bull. They're clearly in want searching for the two best drivers on the grid to be an RB, whatever, whatever, whatever number you want to throw on in the future. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. And I think things have flipped around, you know, for years, the most coveted seat in F1 was to be Lewis Hamilton's teammate, you know, to, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it was also the most difficult job in Formula One. But I think every driver backs themselves to be the guy that breaks that, you know, makes it, you know, a one-sided thing. And, you know, Russell's done a pretty good job against Hamilton in the same way. And I think Leclerc would back himself, you know, he'd say, well, I'm a race winner. I've raced Max, I've beaten Max. So I, I don't think he'd be scared of that move at all. And I don't really think, I don't think Max, I think people have this idea that Max would block moves, but I really don't think Max really would care who his teammate is because you know, he's so com- comfortable at that team. I don't think there's any, like like Lawrence said, you know, if his dad, his dad and his manager have a bit of sway in the team, Helmut Marco's kind of Mr. Verstappen. So I don't think he'd really care who's coming in. So Leclerc to Red Bull, if that option was open to him, Red Bull would take it. I think Charles would be silly not to at least entertain it. So yeah, I, I think that's maybe who knows. I mean, Charles still seems somehow to be clinging on to some hope with Ferrari, but Red Bull, I, I could totally see him being at least interested. I mean, why wouldn't you be? And is Charles at the level? Yeah. No, go, go, ahead. go on, Katie. I was just going to say, is Charles at the level he would need to be to be next to Max in the same the same car? I think over one lap, uh, he's absolutely at the level. Mm-hmm. I think what we've not seen is whether he's got the consistency and the ability to keep it all together in races to to sustain a championship challenge against someone like Max Verstappen, who has become so much more complete. I mean, it's a lot easier when, uh, you know, when you do have the fastest car by some margin, because you can just take a few percentage points off each corner and, you know, take it a little bit easier. But even, um, you know, in the, in the midst of the early season battle with Leclerc and, and Max um, last year, before things got all a bit one-sided, um, Max looked like those the more the complete days. driver of the two. Those were yeah. the days. So, um, but uh, what I was going to say is, uh, you know, for any of these drivers, if, if your contract is up in 2025 and there are opportunities at other teams, you would, if your manager is not talking to those other teams to at least find out yeah. what the possibilities mm. are, then sack your manager. You know, they're not doing True. their job. So, um, you know, these conversations happen all the time. Sometimes they don't go much further than, you know, mm. just a question of what's available, you know, what's what, what's your thinking on this guy or whatever. Um, but yeah, if, if they're not having some kind of just, you know, quiet conversation, nothing official, you know, behind the scenes, then I think I'd be very surprised really uh, because, um, you know, that that's something that, that happens a lot in F1. And and the other thing with Leclerc is that um, he's been asked a number of times recently, oh, you're not worried about, you know, getting your next Ferrari contract lined up and, and in place because, you know, he signed a very long one the previous time around. Um, and he, on a number of occasions, just said, no, I'm not focusing on that at the moment, just trying to get the car back into its position. Uh, meanwhile, Carlos Sainz seems a little bit more keen to uh, to talk about getting into conversations with Ferrari and stay there. And I think that says a lot about those two drivers and, and you know, how committed they are to the Ferrari project long term. I think with Leclerc, you know, he would entertain maybe the possibility of going somewhere else, whereas... Carlos, I think, knows that probably Ferrari is, is you know, a, a good thing for him, as it, is, as it would be for any driver. But, um, yeah, I, I think they have to uh, keep their options open, certainly, until, you know, in, in, until you've got um, a knowledge of, of who's going where and, and which seat's going to be available. 
I think it also speaks to the fact science probably knows that you know, it's unlikely he's going to get many better offers in terms of, I'm not sure Red Bull are going to go back to him. I'm not sure Mercedes will. I think Leclerc can probably kind of not name his price, but he could. he's definitely a, a, a much stronger candidate. So I think for him, waiting out until next year and seeing where the things kind of things kind of lie is quite smart. Lawrence, you had earlier mentioned Audi. Obviously, they're going to be on the grid here in the future. Who could you see Audi going after? Um, probably all the names we've we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. If they could get any of those drivers in, uh, they would. I think from the driver's perspective, you would have to be pretty convinced. I mean, Audi have already started on their engine project. They've been working on that for for, for a little while, and um, you know, seem to be quite confident about it. But remember, it's the Sauber Alfa Romeo team, Alfa Romeo as it's now called, uh, that is uh, that's going to be manufacturing the chassis and designing the chassis. And if you look at where Alfa Romeo is now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get that car or that team in a in a championship contending place by 2026. Meanwhile, if you've got offers on the table from Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari, potentially, you know, th- those are much safer bets. So you'd have mm-hmm. to be very convinced and uh, and, and 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 swung by by the uh, the bosses there. I mean, Andreas Seidel's there. He's you know obviously close to Lando. Worked with him a long time um, at McLaren. So I think Seidel knows how good Norris is. Probably would love to have him in the team. But I really do think it's going to be a case of um, yeah, seeing where all the other options end up. You know, if, if Red Bull. Uh, there's no options there or, or Norris doesn't fancy it because he doesn't want to go up against directly against Verstappen in that team, then maybe uh, Audi could be a, a good option compared to McLaren. But um, I think what we'll see is actually r- rather than deals being done now, I imagine um, we'll have a lot of drivers kind of, you know, just waiting it out and just seeing how things develop and, and who they can talk to. I think we'll Last see when we how... Sorry, Katie, oh, just... I, we'll see how serious Audi is about I, obviously, it's serious. He's entering Formula One, but it was really impressive when Lawrence Stroll put all that money on the table for Fernando, and it was like, "This is, you know, I'm deadly serious about how much I want to win." I think Audi, if they get to 26 and they've kind of got a pretty, you know, unexciting driver lineup, I think immediately you look at it and you say, "Okay, well, you weren't willing to to really go after some of these drivers," and as Lawrence said, you couldn't convince them off the project. So I think a Norris would be interesting there with the sidle link. I mean, he's worked with Signs before. I actually as well, I think if we get a few more years of Ricardo and he doesn't end up at Red Bull, you know, I think for Audi, if he's still as marketable then as he is, if he still wants to race, I mean, he'll be like 30, 35 then. Fernando's shown you can do that. Lewis has shown you can do that. I think he's an outside bet as well. So um, a lot of interesting options for these guys. Last rumor I'll hit you with. Alex Albon was allegedly courted by Red Bull and AlphaTauri, but turned them down. Lawrence, would you like to unpack that one? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that one. I haven't seen that story, but um, it may be the case that Alex is is stuck in his Williams contract, which I think is the case, uh, which is a multi-year deal starting this year, I think. So he's at least until the end of 2024. And we saw it with George Russell as well when he had a Williams contract. Um, I think there was a willingness from both Mercedes' side and obviously George's side to uh, maybe get him out of that a year early and, and they just couldn't find a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had to wait until 2022 to get in the Mercedes. And so if uh, Alex um, is turning it down, I am i don't know whether that's actually him turning down or, or whether he just can't get out of, out of that contract that he's in. I don't think Williams is a bad place at all for him to be. I mean, certainly compared 
to Alpha Tauri, I think, you know, it's, it's arguably a more interesting place to be. He can be a team leader. Uh, that team is fully behind him. He's their talisman at the moment. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all, you know, very positive there for, for Alex and he's getting some great results out of it. I think in James Vowles, they've got a team principal who's, who's making all the right decisions at this stage, but those decisions will not bear fruit in for another probably year at least. Um, realistically, <clears throat> It's going to be even longer than that before before those decisions start to really make a difference to results. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a position where, look, if Alex was offered a Red Bull drive, you can guarantee he'd be trying to find ways to get into it. But an AlphaTauri drive, which is perhaps what that rumour is about, I don't know, like I said, I haven't seen it, then, um, then, then maybe, you know, maybe Williams isn't actually such a bad place to be. Nate, if Audi were to offer Alex Albon a contract, would you consider them serious about their efforts and endeavours? Yeah, I think so. Right now, Alex has mm. been so impressive. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe not as serious as you know, Charles or Max. <laughs> no, just, I'd like that you're throwing it back to, to Nate and uh, no, it's good. You got You got to hold me accountable for the nonsense I say on here. It's very, it's it's good, Casey. Um, no, I think so. I think you you've got to have someone. You've got to have an exciting lineup, and I think Alex right now is one of the most exciting drivers on the grid. You know what he's doing in that Williams, um, and I think that he he's a great example. And you know, it's already been mentioned that we've got. Science, Gasly, Albon. It's a reminder that when Red Bull gets rid of these guys, often they're good enough to stay in F1. They're just not quite good enough, maybe in the eyes of Helmut Marco, to stay, you know, within that program. Um, so on on Albon, from what I understand, last year there was interest from both Alpine and Haas to get him. I don't think he was top of the Alpine list. I think that, that it was Gasly top of that list, but they they know they spoke to Albon and his people. I know Haas looked at it as well, but that Williams contract is pretty tight. So, you know, it is good for him to be there, but he may have, you know, he may have limited his options a little bit. But I think actually, if he keeps performing in this way, then he's he's in a great spot. And I think that coming out of this contract he's in, whenever, you know, whenever he's ready to talk to other teams, I think he's going to be in a great spot. So whether he's turned down Red Bull, I agree with Lawrence. I don't I don't mm-hmm. quite think that's the case, but he probably would have turned down the chance to go back to Alpha Tauri because I think for him it's a bit of a dead end. I don't know what you're going to prove there that you didn't prove to Helmut Marco already. You know they've already got rid of you once. Why go back in that mm-hmm. same situation? So, um, but I think Albon. I really think Albon is is kind of low. It's just simmering away. You know it, his performances are great. I think that he's easy to work with. He's got a great reputation in the paddock. I think there's a lot of teams that will be interested in him. And if things start, if you know jigsaw pieces start moving around i think albon's going to be in there somewhere hi it's mike greenberg letting you know espn bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring the official sports book of espn has exclusive offers and markets from scott van pelt Stephen a smith and me plus many more from the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark there's no better time for sports fans sign up today new users get a bet reset up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I want to switch gears really quickly to the 2026 regulations because 
Christian Horner and Max Verstappen uh, have recently made comments that they are concerned for the new engine regulations and concepts that are coming in 2026. Lawrence, in a digestible manner, can you please just state for us what these changes in regulations are all about that we can expect in 2026? Well, technical regulations are never that digestible. <laughs> that's, that's part of the no. issue. <laughs> but I, I can I give you the basic outline. So um, the engine bit, the V6 turbo, is largely staying the same, although they are removing the MGUH. But I won't go into the details of what the MGUH does because it's irrelevant going forward. And what you're going to have is, is that V6 turbo engine and a hybrid system, essentially, like in a Toyota Prius or something, and a hybrid system. But the hybrid system, rather impressively, is going to produce 50% of the power that the Formula 1 car produces. And they're looking at similar figures to now, so north of 1,000 brake horsepower. So at the moment, the hybrid system uh, is a, just above 20, 20%, you know, around that area. So to go up to 50% is, is significant. And obviously, it requires a huge amount of engineering. The other major factor is that we're moving from fossil fuels, so fuel based on on oil, uh, to uh, renewable fuels. And so um, that is in itself a, a fairly big challenge as well. Now, it's it's really the 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 50% electrical, 50% um, internal combustion engine ratio that Red Bull seems to have an issue with. Uh, they think that um, basically that every car is going to run out of electrical power to deploy around the lap we do see that occasionally even under the current regulations where you'll hear about drivers talk about clipping which is basically where the uh, car is regenerating energy at the end of straights and sometimes uh, they, they lose a bit of electrical power and it feels like the car's slowing down all of a sudden so we, we've heard about that before when they push hard in races well red bull is suggesting that that's going to be on on completely different level in uh in the new set of regulations to the point that they'll actually be using the engine almost as a generator to feed the battery. So uh, they'll be downshifting at the end of the straights um, to create higher revs to, to feed electrical energy uh, back into the battery, which doesn't seem like the most sensible way of going about it. But um, And on top of that, uh, we don't yet have the chassis regulations confirmed that are going to pair with these, these new engine regulations. Now, the aims of the chassis regulations, I mean, chassis is probably the wrong word, but the aero regulations as well, is... Um, is to reduce drag, which will make these cars more efficient. Uh, therefore, you might solve some of those issues you have with uh, the 50% electrical, 50% internal combustion uh, ratio, um, and also make them lighter. But that's hard when you're basically going to need more battery capacity, significantly more battery capacity than you have yeah. before, and the batteries are very heavy. So um, you've got all these kind of uh, factors playing against each other. And the other problem, and this is something that Max uh, Verstappen has relayed is that if you reduce drag you're probably going to reduce how exciting the races are because um you know the drag on a car obviously it's something which all the teams are trying to remove as much as possible but um you know that creates a possibility for slip streaming so you get behind another car you reduce the drag on your car and then you can overtake on you know straights into braking areas and so on and so uh they're looking at ways of making these cars super efficient with drag which might involve something similar to what we have currently which is a drag reduction system but have it uh working all around the lap and also on the on the front wing as well as the rear wing so basically active aerodynamics which change as it goes around goes around the lap to to get the most efficient lap time and there's a concern that all this emphasis on efficiency and, and everything is actually going to have a negative impact on the racing but it depends who you talk to that's what red bull saying and uh red bull are saying that because they believe they are so advanced with their understanding of 
the new power units that they've come across these problems before anybody else and they've run it in simulations and they're worried that it's going to make for some some dull racing uh, if you talk to mercedes uh they say there's no problems and also they say that when these regulations were first devised there was always going to be this element of fuel burning to to result in more electrical power uh, and there was no issue with that among the, the the engine companies because we have this sustainable fuel so even though it sounds a bit wasteful the fact that this fuel is is not based on any type of fossil fuel it's entirely um well really made in a lab um there therefore it's not an issue so you've got all these conflicting views and and as ever with with a regulation change uh it's hard to know who to trust because each team obviously wants to succeed under the new regulations and each team will have some idea roughly of where they are and and where they want to be and perhaps if they're starting to if red bull is starting to say well we should move to 55 percent power from the internal combustion engine 45 percent from the electrical system is that because they're worried about um, you know the, the efficiency of, of of their electrical system and, and and how they're going to generate power from it. Meanwhile, if Mercedes is saying no, don't touch the rules, does that mean they're ahead? That would be a logical assumption to come to. Uh, it's very hard to know without knowing what their dyno results are and uh, getting a look inside the the engine factories and and seeing w- whatever they're doing. But um, but the the other theory, which is the Red Bull theory, is that Red Bull are ahead and therefore know more about the pitfalls of these new regulations. Either way, it's going to be a bit of a political bum fight uh, uh, hmm. over the next probably few weeks or, or months, really, because decisions have to be made because this is for 2026. And really, if you're going to start to make changes about, you know, where the power's coming from in these engines, you need a decision fairly soon. So there you go. Based on based on the conflicting responses, well done, by the way. I'll give you a I'll give you a seven out of ten. Do you think that's fair for digestible? I think yeah, I think information. Yeah, seven, eight, seven, eight. Seven, eight. Good. Okay, seven, eight. Pretty, I mean, I'll bump you up to an eight. Above, it's a, above average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> above average. <laughs> because of these conflicting responses, right, from Mercedes and Red Bull, Nate, read between the lines for me here. Is this a tactic by Red Bull to stay on top, or do we actually have legitimate concerns over how these new regulations will impact F1 moving forward? I think you, you you seem to get this. It's like a cycle, isn't it? Like every time there's a new regulation mm-hmm. change, you have people coming in saying this is the worst. You know, this is you know it's going to kill Formula One. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Sky's falling. Yeah, and Horner, and, and it's almost become it's like the next chapter of the Horner Wolf kind of mudslinging contest as well. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's valid. You know, these are much smarter people pay than to me. See that, by the way, yeah, I mean, same. I mean, I think Vegas. That's how they should kick off. It's just be those two mud wrestling. And then the, the race starts right after that. That'd be fantastic. Um, oh. I don't know why I went mud wrestling. That was a weird, yeah, you know, maybe a weird, <laughs> weird glimpse into my brain. I don't know. Oranges to oranges. Um, all yeah, the same. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, from my from my perspective, I don't know. You know, Lawrence is much better at digesting the technical side to me. I find all of this after a while, it just gets really tedious because it's so far down the line. I think most fans, if they're brutally honest about it, don't really either care or understand enough to really to really get it and i think it's just a lot of it's just grandstanding between different manufacturers about this i think ultimately when we get to 26 i think things will be okay you know one team will be ahead the other teams will be behind and then they'll all be just they'll all be in the same situation you know you'll have the team that's second or third suggesting well maybe we should change the rules and then the team out in front saying no the rules are the rules we all signed up to them and everything will continue as normal you know it's kind of the cycle we get into so i know it's 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 important stuff you know, especially with you know the fuels that they're moving onto and stuff like that, but I think what Drive to Survive has shown is that really the the compelling thing for a lot of people is 
the people kind of in these arguments rather than maybe some of the more technical things. So hopefully Formula One can find a way to to resolve some of these uh, debates. But I think ultimately, whenever you hear Horner or Wolf talk, you've got to take both with a pinch of salt because they're massively self-interested. And that's uh, it's not a knock on those two. I think to succeed in Formula One, you have to be. So you just got to let it play out. And someone's always unhappy going into a rule change. Someone's always like, this rule change doesn't suit us or, you know, we've been screwed over in some way. It's happened every single time I can remember there being a rule change. And I think it's just part of the circus. It's part of what's compelling about it. But the further into it you get, the more you just start to think, well, you know, it, it's so far away as well. I mean, we're still two and a half years out from it. So for a lot of people, I think it's difficult to really by either team are really that knowledgeable about what's going to happen, even though they are, you know, they're working on these projects already, but for them to, I mean, Max was already talking about what, you know, a lap of Mons is going to look like it's two and a mm-hmm. half years out, you know, this is technology they'll be working on a lot. So I think things will look a lot different, even a year from now when they're talking about this. So, um, so yeah, I mean, let's, let, let's just go straight to the, to the, to the mud, the mud wrestle and get all the engine stuff mm-hmm. out of the way. That's, that's what I would do. But again, that's why I'm, that's why I'm not running F1 at the moment. <laughs> I think you'd get a decent amount of votes. And you know it's just as an important as, uh, obviously, rule changes and regulations. It's Martin Brundle's beefs with other human beings on yeah. the grid. If you've been living under a rock, Nate, can you please uh, explain what went down with the Martin Brundle drama? And yeah, so- has anyone done a wellness check? Is he all right? Is <laughs> is he feeling good th- about how things went down? I think he's always fine. I think he's just, you know, things just bounce off of him. Um, it was Cara Delevingne, wasn't it, who was mm-hmm. on the grid, um, and he went. He approached her and um, tried to get an interview. And I think she was with, she Alpha, was with uh, Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo, yeah. And okay. whoever the team representative, who I don't actually know um, the name of, was was with Cara Delevingne. Basically, said to Martin, "No, you can't talk. Uh, c- you know, can't talk to her." And then she kind of said, "I can't hear you." She was kind of joking around about it and said, "I can't talk to you." And to be honest, I'll be completely honest with you. We don't like we don't see these things when we're when we're at the races. You know, we're on the grid, but we a lot of this passes us by. So a lot of people message me like, "Oh, the Brundle thing, the Brundle thing." Heard so much about this Martin Brundle moment. You know, he was so rude, or she was so rude. Like everyone was. I saw it, and I was like, "That seems to me to be a perfectly like." It was one person saying, "Can I interview you?" She said, "No." Then she said, "I can't really hear what's going on." And then he just made you know, it wasn't even a sarcastic comment. It was like, "Oh, I'm sure it would have been interesting anyway." I didn't see the I didn't see the problem at all, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm desensitized to Brundle. But I think it was you know th- there's this whole thing of if you're on the grid, you you should have to talk to Brundle. It's part of the entertainment, you know, that he tries to talk to people. Sometimes he has great interviews. Sometimes he has very awkward ones. You know, the Megan, the ones we talk about, usually are the are these ones. You know, the ones that don't go so well, like the Megan the Stallion in in Austin. You know, that was one of the, that was if if you if you ask me a Martin Brundle grid walk. I think of her saying, you know, I don't have, I don't have a rap today for you, Martin, and him kind of walking off, you know, a bit sassily. So, I think it, I think it's great for F one, you know, even if, even if people have maybe framed it as a anti Martin thing or an anti Cara Delevingne thing, I think that it's part of the show, and I think he's fine, and I think that it makes more people want to watch the, <laughs> makes more people want to watch the grid walk because you might miss or him just thinking someone's Patrick Mahomes when it's not him. You know, it's all, oh, it's all brilliant, even if, Absolutely even if, beautiful you know. Moment. But um, but I don't know. I mean, and again, I didn't see it live, so maybe at the time it seemed a lot worse. But it just seemed, it just seemed like an awkward moment, you know. And two people that clearly had very different briefings on what to expect from the other person or Lawrence, expectations when they were there. So I don't know. I thought it was just like a typical English exchange between two people. I mean, yeah, sarcasm right. is 
you guys at your finest, right? So it was just two yeah. quips back and forth at each other. I thought it was funny. I didn't get worked up about somebody being rude to the other. Lawrence, what did that's you That's most English it? guys approaching a girl at a bar. That's how that's how it usually <laughs> tends to go. I can't hear anything. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And then you're like, okay, say something sarcastic, move on. <laughs> that's usually how it goes. I know in American films it goes a lot better, but in Britain that's basically it. Not really. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, yeah, the, it, was, it was slightly, it was slightly passive aggressive. I think, like you know, the way Martin Martin walked away. But um, I think Sky have been told that from now on, celebrities who are on the grid, you can go and talk to, and they've been briefed that they should talk to you. So there was clearly just a miscommunication through the Alf, perhaps through Alfa Romeo, uh, perhaps you know through F one, uh, and perhaps to Sky. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I think that's the beauty of live television like that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, to have um, potentially anything can happen. You're on the grid of a Formula One race. You know, we've seen drivers before, you know, tell Martin, you know, that they're not willing to talk, brush him away, stuff like that. He doesn't even bother approaching Lewis anymore, hasn't done for years because he knows mm-hmm. that there's absolutely no chance Lewis is going to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's something that would make me want to tune in just because I kind of enjoy watching <laughs> slightly awkward moments like that, but I wouldn't get particularly upset from either side. And I'm sure neither individual uh, really took it to heart too much. And, um, but I think it's one of those things that on social media can gather its own pace and people can sure. read into yeah. it in their own, in their own little ways and, and kind of, you know, make wider judgments about characters. But yeah, I mean, really it was just, just a misunderstanding. Mm. And that's kind of why I that's agree. become like it's why it's become such a famous thing isn't it is because it is unscripted and it's just it's, you've it's got quite unbelievable an... tv yeah if, it's if, brilliant if, 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 yeah go, go back on youtube there's one with Ozzy Osbourne, one. which is absolutely fantastic there's one with john bon jovi where uh martin keeps uh quoting his songs back to him until he gets <laughs> really annoyed and just walks off and then of course there's the famous kimmy raikkonen one in brazil where uh, michael schumacher was uh retiring from the sport and Martin for the first time and Martin asked him asked Kimmy whether he'd been to uh, Michael's retirement do at the front of the grid and the answer is very good but I'll let you go and find it yourself because I don't think I can repeat it on the podcast yeah Yeah, go find it Uh, yourself I I will say what he does is extremely difficult for people who are not mm -hmm. in television to be able to do what he does and have all of that be unscripted and to just fly by the seat of his pants as well as he does it is excellent TV I also think if you're going to be on the grid you're fair game you know, if you're being invited to attend this sporting event, you're fair game if you're going to be out there. If you don't want to be spoken to, stay up in a suite. That's kind of yeah. how I feel about it. So I will tell you both. Yeah. She, that's quite a good, I think that's quite a good line to use. I can't hear anything. Like, how could you, how can you argue against that? You're like, oh yeah, maybe. I mean, they were playing Spice Girls as loudly as they could. As they all, should. All pre-race. Yeah, as they should. I think Christian Horner asked them to play it just beforehand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's as going forward. If, if you're a celebrity, don't want to talk to Martin, just say you can't hear anything. Yeah. Easy. Good cover. Uh, I will tell you both that I'm glad I got to have this conversation with the two of you today because I found it to be very interesting. And I know that all of our conversations in the future will be interesting. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend off. We'll be back, obviously, with more previewing the Hungarian Grand Prix coming up on July 23rd. Remember, subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content and give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening, watching. I appreciate you both. Have a great week, guys. Hold up. 